0: Amen. Yeah, let's give him some let's give him some praise tonight. It was a great time I worship. Awesome. Well, welcome to Genesis. You guys you guys feeling feeling well? Feeling good? Awesome. Well, my name is Mike, and at Genesis we believe in having Open doors and open hearts. And so I hope that when you walked in tonight that you felt comfortable and invited. And I also hope that you came with an open heart because we have prayed and prepared for you. And so we are glad that you're here. And I've said this before, but man, it is so true that everything good in life starts with a CH, right? Chick-fil-A. Chocolate. Christmas. Chicken. Christ. What's another one? Jeez, <laughs> I thought, oh, that. that's good, that's good. Man, why is the language, why is English like that? That's crazy. All right, cool. Well, tonight we are continuing our series, You Asked For It, where we are taking submitted questions from you guys and forming our October series around them. Uh, so far, we've answered Mostly the question of what is God's will for my life? Uh, and then also, how do I know when I'm ready to date? That was a fun one. And then last week we talked about how do I know the voice of God? And tonight's question is a very common yet important question, uh, and, and maybe something many of us have probably asked at one point or another. And it's this Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen? To good people? And that is such a, a great question, one that often sits at the, the crux of the pain that we feel in our lives, and also in the pain that we see others around us experience as well. And also when we take a look at the suffering around the world, right, and throughout history, why do bad things happen to good people? And there is a, there is a theological side to that question, uh, a th- theological answer to that question, and answers that will suffice theologically. And then there's also answers to that question that kind of fall on the more comforting side. Both are true, but should really just be used at different situations, different times. There's a time and a place for for both sides of the equation. And I'll give you an example. I've told this story before, but it's been a while. Uh, A couple of years ago, there was a guy that I had grown up with that was a part of a Genesis small group that I led at my house on Monday nights, and so group was on Monday. Well, the previous weekend, he had lost his best friend in a motorcycle accident. And so he comes to group and he's beside himself, he's grieving, he's upset, and through his tears, he asks his own version of this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? And at that point, there's a theological answer that you can give, there's also a comforting answer that you can give. Both are true, right, but there's a time and a place for each. And so we're going to hit on both of those tonight, both sides of the equation. We're going to try to hit this from a lot of different angles in an effort to tackle this question as well as we can. So if you would, pray with me, and then we will jump in. God, I thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for every single person in this room tonight. God, every, uh, every chair, there's somebody sitting that's a soul, it's a story. And uh, so, God, we thank you for them. God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. God, I thank you for a great time of worship. And, uh, God, again, I pray you'd speak to us tonight. God, we know the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word remains forever. So, God, I pray that you speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. Awesome. Well, if you would, turn to the book of Job, the book of Job, if you have your Bible. Job, if you are looking for it and you have ripped out your table of contents, it is after Esther and before the book of Psalms, after Esther and before Psalms. While you do that, I will give you some context. The uh, the book of Job chronologically takes place very close to the beginning of time. Obviously, it's like close to the the middle of your Bible, but on the timeline, it happens right after Noah and the flood. Um, And so the story... Uh, is very long. As you've seen, there's like 42 chapters in Job. Uh, and so if you've been here for when we talked about Joseph, when we talked about Ruth, we're not going to read the whole thing tonight. We will cover the whole story. I'm going to summarize it for you uh, and give you scriptural highlights as we move through it. So you guys ready? Okay, cool. So the story opens by introducing us to this man named Job. And Job is, according to the verses, a righteous and upright man, a blameless and upright Man, meaning that Job was a great guy, okay? In today's terms, Job loved the Lord. Job went to church. He, he loved his family. He, he always uh, did the right thing. He never cheated on his taxes. He always went to his kids' soccer games, okay? Job was the neighbor who always had milk if you needed some, okay? Job was a great guy. Well, somewhere and somehow in the spiritual realm, there, there comes this conversation between God and Satan, and I don't want to get into how in the world that happened or what that looked like, because I don't know, but it happened. And the conversation that took place would change Job's life forever. And this is what we see. This is Job 1, 6 through 12. It says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job, does Job, <laughs> oh man, we'll, we'll run with that. Does Job, does <laughs> Job fear God? Again, with the English language, so strange. All right, does this, this Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan comes to God with this desire to absolutely harass Job, saying that if he does, then Job would curse God and turn his back on him. And God gives Satan permission. Right, you're like, why would he do that? Well, he did, okay? And the only contingency is that Satan doesn't do anything to Job individually. God says, do anything you want to his family, do anything you want to his possessions, just don't hurt him. Now, this interaction can kind of raise some eyebrows, right? This is really interesting, and we can, we can learn some things from this. First, as we can see, nothing happens in this world that is outside the control of God, right? He, he's completely sovereign. He has complete authority over the whole world and everything that's in it. And we see that in the fact that Satan had to ask permission. Well, and we're going to talk more about that later. But we can also see in this, to help us answer our question for tonight of why bad things happen to good people, is that salvation doesn't change your situation. Salvation doesn't change your situation. A lot of times people believe that when we give our lives to Christ, that we just join the happy, holy, healthy, wealthy club. And that's just not the case. Our faith is literally hinged upon God himself living on earth in poverty, being rejected, and then dying a torturous death on a cross. And so if Jesus suffered, then we can be assured that suffering will also come our way. And the reason is, well, first of all, we are all equally sinful, right? From the the worst of the worst to the best of the best, from the mass murderers of the world to the jobs of the world. Sinfulness is not a condition that some have and others don't. We all have it. A while back, I was officiating a, a wedding for some friends of mine, and during the rehearsal dinner the night before, one of the family members, I didn't, I didn't know who he was, he came up to me, and he was like, you're a pastor? And I was like, yes, sir, you know? And he said, wow, they got to you quick, huh? Inferring that I was young, and assuming I hadn't lived long enough to get into too much trouble before starting my time in ministry. First of all, it wasn't true, but second of all, I thought, man, nothing against this guy, but that's just not how this works, right? I'm, I'm just as sinful as... You are, this, this sinfulness condition is not worse in some than others. We're all sinful, right? God's not keeping score with sin because we've already lost the battle with it. That, that's why Jesus came to win that victory for us. And second of all, because we are all equally sinful, we are all equally affected by our fallen world, right? So, so we are all equally susceptible to tragedy and pain and loss and grief and suffering. The uprightness and blamelessness of Job didn't cause God to tell Satan no, which is kind of hard to think about, right? The uprightness and blamelessness of Job didn't cause God to tell Satan no. Salvation doesn't change your situation. But as we'll see, it does change your perspective on your situation. And that right there is the simple, easy version of the answer to tonight's question. Right? Bad things happen to good people, well, because we live in a bad, broken world. But this question goes much deeper than that, and you know if you have endured suffering or you are currently enduring suffering, you know that answer doesn't always do the job. So let's keep moving. As the story progresses, Satan follows through on the deal. He begins to wreck Job's life, and he starts with his property. So in the beginning of chapter one, we see that Job has a ton of livestock. He's got uh, sheep, oxen, camels, and donkeys. And one day, one of Job's servants runs up to Job, and he's like, Mr. Job, some foreign invaders came, and they took the oxen, and they took the donkeys. And as they're talking, another servant runs up, and he's like, Job, so a fire came and killed the sheep. And then while they're talking, another servant runs up, and he's like, Job, some, some more invaders came, and they took the camels. So within the blink of an eye, all of Job's livestock, his livelihood, was gone. But it didn't end there. As the three of them were, as the, the four of them, Job and the three servants, were talking, another person ran up to him and said, Job, this big wind just came and it collapsed this house that your kids were in, and they're all dead. And so Job just went from losing his livestock, which was his livelihood, and all of his kids, in one day. And so the faith of Job was being heavily tested, right? So let's read and we'll we'll see how he responds. This is Job 120 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Job tears his clothes, he shaves his head, which is like back in that time, it was like a ceremony for grief. He falls down, he worships God. And so Job's response to suffering is worship, right, which, which is amazing. That's, that's inspiring. It's an example we should all follow. It's a message in and of itself. But then it gets worse. We see Satan approach God again, and they have a similar conversation. God tells Satan, uh, hey, I saw that you messed with Job, and I noticed that he hasn't turned his back on me. And Satan responds by, remember the first time Satan said, hey, let me take his family and his possessions, but I can't hurt him. Well, now Satan is like, okay, I took his family, I took his possessions, now will you let me hurt him? And God says, yes, as long as you don't kill him. Do whatever you want to him, just don't kill him. So after Job loses his kids and his source of income, Satan attacks Job's health. And he strikes Job with sores all over his body. And scripture says from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And actually the verses say that Job would scrape himself with a piece of broken pottery, to alleviate the sores. Think popping a pimple. We were watching Dr. Pimple Popper earlier. It's disgusting. And so on top of that, either he was doing it to alleviate the sores, but also because when they would would bust open, they would start to heal, so they would start to itch. So Job was in a bad place. He's now lost his kids, his livelihood, and now his health. And for the first time, we see his wife, Make an appearance, and this is their conversation. This is Job 2, 9 to 10. Then his wife said to him, "'Do you still hold fast your integrity? "'Curse God and die.' "'But he said to her, "'You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. "'Shall we receive good from God, "'and shall we not receive evil?' And all this, Job did not sin with his lips.' so Job's wife, you know, is obviously taking the whole thing pretty hard, which is understandable. Those were her kids. That was her li- her livelihood that had been taken from her. And so she asks Job, do you still hold to your integrity? In other words, are you still continuing to be blameless and upright? Are you still kind of holding on to this whole God thing? And she then tells him to curse God and die, which was exactly what Satan wanted him to do. Remember, I'm going to do this and he's going to curse you to your face. And Job responds, as we read, by telling her that she sounds like a a fool. He wasn't going to turn his back on God. And this brings up another side of this question of why bad things happen to good people. Sometimes people who are, are Christians ask this question, and it usually, it usually sounds like, why would God allow such and such? Why would God allow this or that? Why would God allow fill in the blank? But sometimes there are people who don't believe in God and suffering is why they don't believe. They're not asking why God would allow bad things to happen. They're coming to the conclusion that there is no God because of suffering. Right? God would never allow such suffering to take place in my life. God would never allow such suffering to take place around the world. He wouldn't allow this person in my life to die of cancer. He, he wouldn't allow me to lose my job. He wouldn't allow that motorcycle accident. Right? Or, or on a bigger scale... He wouldn't allow infanticide and genocide or he wouldn't allow human trafficking and the sex trade. He wouldn't allow war and violence or on a historical scale, he wouldn't allow the crusades or he wouldn't have allowed American slavery or the Holocaust or plagues or 9-11. And so many people, just as Job's wife said, when it comes to suffering, they think, man, we just need to move on from this whole God thing. If there was a God, none of this would have happened. And that's where Job finds herself. Job's wife finds herself. She basically tells Job to stop believing in God because of what he's allowed to happen. And so a lot of life, I can't do this for you, but a lot of life is reconciling the existence of God with the suffering that we experience in our own life and and, and the suffering that we've seen around the world. And as I mentioned earlier, salvation doesn't change your situation, it changes your perspective on your situation. That's what we see in how Job responds to his suffering. He doesn't curse God and die like his wife told him to do. He instead trusts God with what's going on. And so as Christians, we can do the same thing. That is an example that we can follow in our suffering. We can trust God that he is in control. Even on the outside, it may seem like he's not. And also look forward to the day that when Jesus returns and ends the ramifications of this broken world forever. As the story of Job continues, we're gonna get We're gonna continue to get a little deeper into the layers of this question, because this question there's a lot to it. Well, after the interaction between Job and his wife, we are introduced to some new people in the story. The words get out to or the word get out gets out to three friends of Job, and they decide to come visit him. And the verses say that these friends came with the intention of showing sympathy and the intention to comfort Job during the difficult time that he was in. This is really nice of them, right? Can we get a collective? Aww. All right. Y'all still with me? Well, the three of them show up and they begin this long conversation that actually makes up most of the book of Job. I don't know, like I said earlier, if you were looking at Job, it's got 42 chapters. Do not be afraid. We are not going to read it all. This conversation ranges from chapter 3 all the way to chapter 31. And so, a bulk of the book is this conversation. And so I'm going to summarize it for you because it is very poetic, very lengthy, and can be very difficult to read. Essentially, this long conversation can be boiled down to one thing. In the opinion of Job's friends, Job must have done something to deserve the suffering that he was experiencing. Their opinion, Job, there there must have been something you did to cause this. Which doesn't sound too sympathetic or comforting, does it? To give you an example, this is Job 4, 7 to 8. This is something they said, they said to him. Remember, who, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. In other words, the people who reap trouble are those who sowed trouble. They tell Job, there must have been some sin in your life that caused all of your issues. And so now, this is where we're really gonna get into the messiness of this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? The problem with this question And this might be a little hard to hear. The problem with this question, the problem with asking why do bad things happen to good people makes the assumption that good is rewarded with more good. And that bad should be rewarded with more bad. I do want to make clear that there is definitely a type of suffering that is brought on by ourselves, right? But then there's a type of suffering that's not. It's a diff- there's a difference between things happening because of us and things happening to us, right? It's easy to think in those moments like Job's friends did, man, I must have done something to cause this. Or on the opposite, we think because of the good that we've done, these bad things shouldn't be happening. Good should be rewarded with good. Bad should be rewarded with bad. Unfortunately, that thought process is karma, not Christianity. And this is where the theological answer comes in. You know, as I I mentioned earlier, God doesn't keep score with sin. It's because we live in that condition of sinfulness. If not for Jesus, we would be left in our sin, unable to do anything about it. And so without Jesus, there is no good in us. And so when we look at the question of why do bad things happen to good people through the lens of Christ, then that question takes on new meaning. There are no good people. Sin has corrupted us all. Scripture even says our good works are filthy rags before God. And the good that we do to try to earn more good is meaningless. Tim Keller calls them damnable good works. If we got what we deserved, we'd get hell. And so the only bad thing that's happened to a good person was Jesus going to the cross and he volunteered for that. Unfortunately, our uprightness and blamelessness as we see in Job is not a shield from suffering. Good is not rewarded with more good. I wanna take you back to that small group night at my house with that that guy crying after losing his best friend in the motorcycle accident, asking why bad things happen to good people. Or sitting on the couch in my living room, and in the middle of his grief, picture me saying what I just told you. Well, you know, no such thing as good people. Your friend who just died, sin, man. You see how there's a time and a place for certain answers. He would have done nothing to help the situation. It's a true theological answer, but you can see how it was not appropriate at the time. And so what is the comforting answer to the question? We'll get there as the story of Job continues. After the three friends get done talking, a fourth man who apparently has been there the whole time, he speaks up, tries to set him straight. And that makes way for God to finally show up and give some answers. God shows up on the scene, and over the next four chapters, the Lord proceeds to verbally slap Job with some powerful rhetorical questions. And he really just gives, gives Job some perspective. And we're not gonna read the four chapters, but I just wanna give you some highlights on how God reminded Job that God was God and Job was not. This is what he said. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That would have been good enough for me, right? Right? Why, God, where were you when I created the world? Okay? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Can you send forth lightning? So Job gets put in his place a little bit. And this is what Job finally says towards the end of the book. This is Job forty two, one through six. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And those quotes right there is He's quoting what God had said to him previously. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job continues, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know, and he quotes God again. Here and I will speak, I will question you. You make it known to me. Then Job continues and finishes up. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job says, Lord, I'm sorry, I've spoken of things that I do not but otherwise. You're going to come out on the other side of that sentence one day. But when you do, you're going to understand God like you never would before. That understanding of God can only be built by suffering. It can only get built by a comma. I remember how it was before. Then I walked through what I walked through. But now I see you. Now I understand you. I went from the shallow end to the deep end. I went, from, I went from a faith built on everything going right to now a faith built on a trust in God. What happens in between is the suffering. I heard this story a while back about a woman named Corey Tinboom who was a Christian during the Holocaust. She actually helped Jews escape. Uh, from the Nazis by hiding them in her home. Well, eventually she got caught and taken to a concentration camp. Well, somehow, she was able to smuggle a Bible in. And as you know, the conditions of concentration camps were abysmal, they were atrocious, and it was even worse for Corrie Ten Boom. On top of everything else, she and another woman were put into a room with straw beds that were infested with fleas. And that's how they lived at the concentration camp, in a flea-infested barrack with a smuggled Bible. And so in her room, her her and her friend would, uh, they would hold these secret Bible studies together. Well, as they're studying scripture, the friend comes across this verse and says, give thanks in all circumstances. And she says, Corey, I think we need to pray. I think we need to stop right here, and right here and now, we need to pray And we need to thank God for these fleas. Obviously, Corey, it took a little convincing. But they did. They prayed. They thanked God for the fleas. after a while, they started noticing that the guards never checked in on them. Meaning they never got assaulted. They never got caught with the Bible. Because of that, they were able to continue holding these Bible studies with these women. And actually led many women to Christ because of it. And not until they left the camp did they figure out why the guards never came in. The guards never came in because of the fleas. What are the fleas in your life that you may need to thank God for? What are the fleas in your life that may seem like a curse but may instead lead you to God in the process? What are the fleas in your life that can end up drawing you closer to God? It's like you have ever seen those videos of kids who, who are born like basically blind, right? They, 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 they can't see a terrible eyesight and they get to wear glasses for the first time. Right, their whole life, their whole life, they've not seen clearly. They've gone by sound and not sight. And they put those glasses on, their face lights up, they see clearly for the first time. Our walk with Jesus can be that way. But sometimes God uses the glasses of suffering to get us there. I'd heard you, God. I went by sound. But now I go by sight. Now I see you. I'd heard you, but because of my suffering, I see you and I understand you, and I feel you like never before. As the story of Job concludes, the suffering comes to an end for Job. and The Lord rebukes the three friends who had spoken wrongly about God. And He actually tells Job, he says, Job, if you pray for these guys, I'll accept their sacrifices, and I won't punish them. And Job does. And the Lord restores all of Job's fortunes, to him and then some. God actually doubles what Job had before. He has more kids. His health comes back. The Lord gives him more livestock. And this story, it does a great job of teaching us why bad things happen to good people. But it also ultimately points us to Jesus. Who was the better and true Job? And just as Job was upright and blameless, Jesus was innocent and sinless. And just as Job suffered unjustly, Jesus would suffer unjustly. And just like Job, that suffering would lead to restoration. A restoration that, like Job, allowed Jesus to intercede for the very ones who betrayed him to rescue them from the wrath of God. Just as Job's fortunes were restored, Jesus was restored to his rightful spot next to the Father in heaven. And just as the Lord restored Job's fortunes, he will do so to us in eternity. This world may have brought and may still bring loss and loneliness and pain and suffering in your life. But eternity in the presence of God will bring life, joy, and wholeness. We may not know every intention of God, but we do know that he will use our pain. He often allows bad things to happen so that he can reveal himself to us. So tonight, as we conclude, I hope this is a helpful answer to this question. As we respond in worship, I encourage you, if you are in that comma time of life, keep pressing on. Don't get bitter. Don't, don't get angry. Don't curse God. Don't turn your back on him. The second half of your sentence is coming. You may have heard God. You may have known how it was before. And you may find yourself in that comma. But you're going to see God like never before on the other side. If you were going to stand with me, we'll pray. God, I thank you so much for the story of Job. God, that shows us as clearly as we can see why you allow things to happen to us. So God, I pray for all of us in here tonight that may find ourselves in a comma type of life, a comma time of life. We're waiting on the second half of that sentence. We know how it was before. We know the life that we had before, that person we had before, the job we had before, the health that we used to have before, the answers that we used to have before. But now we find ourselves in a spot of sickness, a spot of pain, a spot of wondering why. God, I pray that in the, in the midst of that comma right now, that you would reveal yourself to every single one of us. God, that we would be able to see you like never before. We'd put those glasses on, those, those glasses that are often glasses of suffering, God. We're, in the midst of suffering, God, we see you and we understand you and we feel you. So God, I pray that you would you would inspire us tonight to worship in the midst of our suffering, just like Job did. Knowing, God, that on the other side, whether that be on earth or in eternity, we will see you, we will understand you. You'll make things clear. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your ability to intervene in our lives. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that makes that, makes that possible. Have your way in this place tonight, God. I pray we respond in worship. Do what only you can do, Lord. In Jesus' name.